This episode of Punk Rock HR is sponsored by The Star Conspiracy. The Star Conspiracy is the B2B marketing agency for innovative brands creating the future of workplace solutions. For more information, head on over to thestarconspiracy.com. Hey everybody, I'm Lori Rudiman. Welcome back to Punk Rock HR. My guest today is Stacy Gordon. She's an executive advisor and diversity strategist of Rework Work, where she and her team coach and counsel executive leaders on DEI strategies for their businesses. Not only has she been published in Forbes and Fast Company and Harvard Business Review, Stacy's Unconscious Bias course is number one on the LinkedIn Learning Platform. You can also find Stacy's book, Unbias, Addressing Unconscious Bias at Work, at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and wherever books are sold. And on today's show, we talk about the ecosystem all around Stacey Gordon, but the challenges of implementing DEI strategies and how a lot of this is just good old fashioned change management. So if you're into a conversation with a super cool woman who I got to meet in New York City live and in person, well, sit back and enjoy this conversation with Stacey Gordon on Punk Rock HR. Hey, Stacey, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate being invited to join you. Well, it's so fun to physically see you. I can see you over the internet here and we spent some time together in New York. And before we talk about all that good stuff, why don't you tell everybody who you are and what you're all about? So I am Stacey Gordon and I am a diversity strategist. I am an executive advisor and that just means that I spend a ton of time working with CEOs and their executive teams around the globe, helping them start to formulate their DEI strategy, but more from a personal space than even from an organizational lens because we find that that is where we need to start. What does that even mean? Like to start from a personal perspective? Because for me, that means I got to do some work. Exactly. You do have to do some work. It's starting from an interpersonal space, right? Because we focus so much on the organization, but that makes it so easy to scapegoat and to blame and to have a lack of accountability because it's like, oh, it's not me. It's them. It's the corporation. It's the leadership, right? It's these things that are so easy to sort of distance ourselves from. And it's like, no, 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 that's you. You individually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would be your fault. I get that totally. Do you think most executives know that they are personally accountable, individually accountable for DEI and A and B and all the acronyms? Like it is their job to do this or do they still think it belongs in human resources. They absolutely think it belongs in human resources. You know, I'm reminded of a conversation where literally a CEO had a light bulb moment. It was like sitting in a meeting, the CEO, the CFO, the CMO, the CHRO, right? Like all of the individuals and their head of recruiting was also in the room. And he said something along the lines of, well, you know, if they would just do their job, then this would happen, right? And I said, because in my mind, what I wanted to say was, what? But what I said was, you're absolutely right. I said, however, what is their job? And we started to break down what their job was. And I said, so it's their job to bring individuals, right? Introduce individuals to the organization. But whose job is it to hire? 
He was like, well, the hiring managers. I was like, yeah. I was like, so you mean these folks in the room, the ones we're looking at right now? And he was like, yeah. I said, so you mean to tell me that the head of recruiting, their job is dependent on the individuals in this room to do their job? The hopscotch logic that people take in order to justify the status quo is really fascinating to me. So I'm with you. <laughs> like You're doing the Lord's work. And not only are you out there working with organizations, you've got a community, you're out there with people, but you're also speaking. So you're on the road and you're doing that because you're supporting a book. So can you tell us a little bit about your book? Sure. So my book is Unbiased, which let me just tell you, every time you type it in anywhere, it will always autocorrect to unbiased with an ED. <laughs> Because unbiased technically, I guess, isn't a word. But I purposely came up with that because I understand we can't be unbiased, but our goal is to work towards it. So my thought process was like, hey, let's try to unbiased our behavior. Let's try to unbiased our decision making. Let's try to unbiased the way that we speak to one another. Understanding that we'll probably never get there 100% because we're not perfect. But if we work on it, we're, we're going to get closer. And so unbiased as a verb has an actual framework in your book around how to do that. So can you talk a little bit about how we get closer to that desired state of living in an unbiased world? Definitely, because let me tell you, right, there's so much that has gone on in the world. So I wrote this book, interestingly enough, in 2020, I had made the decision to write it prior to George Floyd being murdered. And I was writing it right after George Floyd was murdered. And so here is this book, really what was happening, everyone was talking about action. We have to do something. We need to be in action. And you'll notice if you read the book that the third step in the stage is action. It's not the first. And it's the third for a reason, because what's happening is we're all complaining and saying like nothing's changing and nothing's changing because we are all taking action that is performative. We are taking action that is not sustainable. And we are taking action that we haven't really thought about like who we're taking action for or why or what it's gonna do. We're just really doing this check the box activity. So the idea of the framework is that we have to start with awareness, awareness of who we are and what we bring to the table, which goes back to what I was saying in the beginning about self-awareness for leaders and why this is personal. We have to start with us and our accountability and our understanding of what is going on around us. Then we have to get into alignment, which is the second stage where it's like, okay, I have now, I see what is happening. I'm now going to commit to some accountability. I'm going to commit some resources. I'm going to commit to making this actually happen. And then you can go do the action. So that all makes sense. But you know, there are a lot of outcomes with action. And so let's talk about your fourth step, the fourth A, because I think a lot of people take action and then it stops or the action doesn't work the way that they had planned and then they give up. So what's your fourth step? So the fourth step is advocacy. It is continuing, sustaining. And to your point, yeah, you will do something. It might not work. That doesn't mean we throw up our hands and go, oh, well, that didn't work. We'll just go back to what we were doing before. It's like, well, no, it means we try something else. Or if it does work, it also means we have to keep coming back and checking to see, is it continuing to work? Because things that we did 50 years ago in the workplace, they worked then, they don't work now. So we have to be constantly going back 
and iterating and checking to make sure that what we have put in place still continues to work for our current day workplace and not from our workplace of years past. So we have your four steps and although they seem simple, they are not easy. This is real work. And I'm struck by the fact that you write a newsletter that kind of describes your ecosystem and offers really great tips and ideas and talks about this methodology, but your newsletter is called Simply Diversity. As if simple is like the <laughs> smartest choice here, but tell me why you picked that word. Why is that word important to you? It's important because we really do have to find the simple way to do something. If it's not easy, we're not going to do it. We have to break it down. We've got to break diversity down and get it to a place where there is a simple action that we can take because it's not about looking at the big picture. Even right now, I think about how just awful things could be right now, right? Like there's so much going on. When I sit and think about that, and I have had some moments where I've literally just thrown up my hands and said, why am I doing this? What's the point? I'm done. But that's where you get to when you don't keep it simple, because you are so mired in the complex and all the things that you can't solve and all the problems that are out there and all the things you have no control over. And it's like, no, let's focus on the things that we actually do have control over. Let's focus on the things we can do. The small, everyday, simple, sort of back to basics things that we can do. Well, I would love an example of something simple and small because we are facing complex problems. You know, we have the justice for Jalen movement, right? You know, a young man was just shot 60 times, an unarmed man in Akron, Ohio. We are still dealing with the reckoning of George Floyd's murder. When you wrote your book, it's not like things are completely different two years later. I mean, things in a lot of ways are worse for people in marginalized communities. We have a black maternal health crisis. We have a health crisis within indigenous communities, right? Like the world is crazy. So how do I do something simple and make things better? Well, it's really about bringing it down to, again, what can you control? So going back to your question about HR, you know, leaders are like, HR should handle this. Okay, fine. Even though HR was just garbage a couple of years ago in these leaders' eyes, but now they want to give HR everything. But okay, so what can HR do? Something simple. Well, but it's really looking at, if we're going to make a decision, what is that decision that you're going to make and how is it going to impact the people around you? So I'm about to hire somebody. And even before I even hire the person, just even in looking at who am I bringing in to the organization as a potential to be hired, I have the opportunity to widen that, right? To bring in some additional people. So I'm going to do it. I have no control over whether or not the hiring manager is going to pick any of these people. I have no control over what they're going to offer in salary. I got no control over whether they decide to sit down and say racist, stupid things to this person, right? I got no control over any of that. But I do have control over maybe at least opening the door. I mean, I think you're right. When we start to look at like the ground level of the things we can do every day, for years, people let their friends skip the line, right? And maybe they didn't get into the building, but they at least got a chance to be in that line. We could do things like that too. Or we could certainly recruit in a different way that attracts different types of candidates. You're absolutely right that they're like small, almost, this is my word, not yours, but subversive things we can do. Like, I love that. You know, I love thinking that we can change the status quo just by being there and being a little sneaky, a little tricky, a little, I don't know, a little subversive. Are you okay with the word subversive? Absolutely. And it's so funny because I was using it just last week with a client, I do these individual coaching sessions, right? And so I've had so many different individuals that have gone through this. And what will happen is I coach the whole team. So I usually do the CEO and the executive team and whoever else they'll let me talk to, right? And I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> true. Yeah, 
That is coaching. But what happens there is I will get snippets of things, right? The HR person will tell me something. Their CFO will tell me something. Their CMO, their CIO, right? And I get these bits of information. And so what I told all of them individually, one by one was like, hey, here's my, as a personally, my little subversive tip for you. Talk to your board, you know? Have a conversation with your board of directors, right? I mean, nothing wrong with having a conversation about some of the challenges that you see or things that are coming your way. And it was just so funny because all of them were like, talk to talk to the, the board. <laughs> and it was like, I'm just saying. I just love how you're giving, you're planting a seed and giving people permission to be positively disruptive. You're not saying go out and protest. You're not saying, you know, alert the local news that things aren't the way they need to be. You're saying just have a conversation. It could go somewhere. It could go nowhere. We don't know, but it's not going to get them fired, I think is the greater point. Right. And what they find though, is when they have those conversations is that more people are thinking like you than not. And so many times we don't speak up because we're like, oh, I don't want to be that person. I don't want to be this person who's going to bring up this issue, right? Because I'm going to be standing out here all by myself on this island. And it's like, no, actually, you're not on an island. But it's very easy to feel that way when you're not talking to other people. Once you start talking to other people, you find that, oh, there's actually strength in numbers. There's more of us who believe this than not. So maybe we should be having a conversation about what now is it going to take for us to you know, move this conversation forward and move it from a conversation to some action. Well, I love this because this is good old fashioned change management applied to like diversity, inclusion, equity, accessibility, belonging, right? All of it. But it's so smart because I think sometimes we just jump to action to your earlier point without doing any of the pre-work. And so I see that as one really big mistake, right? That we're talking about. So people just automatically do the thing they want to do and they haven't created a community behind them, right? There's no buy-in. I bet there's like 15 solid mistakes that people make <laughs> in this area or maybe more like, can you give me examples of more mistakes that people make when they are well-intended corporations, they want to go pursue a diversity agenda, but they just get in their own way? Like, how do they do that? It's like a couple things there, right? One of the things you said, this is change management. Our framework is based in change management principles. And so without change management, one of the things that we put forth as a solution to the mistakes is our why of DEI course. Because what that does is it allows you to start to gather the information and the the intel and the backup, right, that you need in order to be able to make the case for the action that you need to take. And so some of the mistakes that we see is not doing that, right? It's not making sure that you really understand why you're doing this thing. It's also doing the right things, but for the wrong reason or for no reason, right? Like when I tell you, and I keep talking about the trifecta of madness that was happening, which is most people that I talk to, they're doing one or more of these three things. They are offering unconscious bias education. Now, obviously, as the person who has the number one most watched unconscious bias education course across the entire LinkedIn learning platform, I'm excited about that. I want you to take unconscious bias education, right? But I don't want you to do it when you have no idea why. You're just like, well, we just have got to do something. Take this training. No. <laughs> right? The second thing is what people have been doing is hire a chief diversity officer. All right, great. So you're going to hire a chief diversity officer to do what exactly? You're going to give them no resources, no power, no employees, and you're going to have them do the very thing that you haven't been able to do? How does that make sense? Okay, so we've got two. What's the third? The third is setting up a DEI committee. Everyone's got a DEI committee. DEI advocates, DEI committee, DEIBJ, whatever you want to call it, right? And again, 
again, great idea, but what's its purpose? What are they getting together to do? What's the mandate? What's the outcome? Well, that question of the why, I think, is so important. And it's one that you address in Unbiased, right? Like getting to the why of your behaviors. It's something you also address when you're out speaking. When you go out into communities of leaders, of HR professionals, I'm sure they're positively responding to your book. And you're a great speaker. I saw you in New York. I know you're awesome. Do you get follow-up of people who really want to pursue the why who are into this work? Or is it kind of like, I got your book, tick the box? You know, I do get people that literally just this morning, I had somebody reach out to me from a top global brand. And I was like, oh, okay. Because their head of DEI was in one of my sessions. I forget where, I think it was talent development, maybe. It might have been Sherm, but I think it was Association of Talent Development. Uh, she came up to me and said, this is so great. This is what we're talking about. And she's like, we need to connect. And then I never heard from her again. And I was like, oh, I need to follow up with her. But today, someone reached out from the organization, not the same person, but that means they're talking, right? They're having the conversation, they're circulating the information. And I actually prefer that because it means it's not a knee-jerk reaction. It means somebody actually went back, put thought into what they were going to do before they reached out, which I appreciate because so many times I sit with a prospective client and I ask them questions and they have no idea of the answers. They're like, uh, well, we thought we wanted to do this. And I'm like, yeah, and why? And what's it for? And what are you going to do with it? And I'm like, yeah, you need to probably go away and answer a bunch of these questions and then come back. And when you do, we'll be here. Well, you know, I think it's so interesting that when you go out in the world and speak, you do so with this goal, right, of changing the world. And you and I had a conversation in New York City around how you're still speaking within the SHRM community, because regardless of any human resources, politics, or drama, you want to talk to the people who are doing the work, right? You want to get your message out there and you want to see if you can, you know, get some engagements, change the world that way. Can you talk to me a little bit more about that? Because so many people who listen to Punk Rock HR are like, screw SHRM, never again. But you make the case that you got to be where the people are, right? Absolutely. You do. You have to be where the people are. And it's the individual's you just never know who you are going to impact. And I will tell you every single time that I say to myself, oh, I'm not doing this. I don't need to go here. This is just right. But then I will have that one conversation with somebody where it changes what they're doing, where they will come back to me later and say, you know, we had that conversation and that really helped me. And I went on and I did this thing. And so I think, again, that's why I keep bringing it back to being simple. If I think about it in the large, complex ecosystem of HR organizations, and they're just not doing enough. I would never talk to anybody in HR. Right? Yeah, that's my world. <laughs> right? But instead, I'm like, no, individually, one by one, small bites of the elephant, right? We have to have these conversations. We have to continue because there's enough people that are willing to do the work. They just need the tools in a lot of cases. And many of us, we've been taught to avoid these conversations, right? We've been taught to not talk about sex or politics or religion, but yet here we are having to talk about these things. And so the problem is we don't have proper education or tools for how to handle the conversations that we need to have. And so rather than continue to avoid them, we have to have them, but we've got to have them with some education. Amazing. Well, I want to close the conversation by talking about your awesome ecosystem, because once I started to like dive in and take a peek, I'm like, oh, there's content here for days. Like it's such good stuff. You offer coaching and consulting, correct? So talk to me about that. 
Yeah, so the coaching and consulting, mainly we do it for, like I said, the executive leaders because they're the ones that have got to get this. And I want to, sometimes I feel like I'm hitting my head against a brick wall, but we're going to get there because they're the ones that have to really get that information. And the coaching is what helps because we get to do the one-on-one conversations where we get to really have those confidential spaces for them to talk through a lot of these strategies. So for those people who don't necessarily have budget or access or title and qualify for organizational coaching or consulting, Consulting, you also offer a newsletter and a community out there that really focuses on diversity and inclusion and equity. So talk to me about that kind of content. Yes. So actually, if you go to learn.reworkwork.com, we've really just tried to, like you said, we have content for days. So we've been trying to pull it all into the ecosystem. It's not all quite there yet, but most of it is, right? We've pulled in information about the book, all the courses, everything is there. And we've even been putting in free learning pathways. So we're going to keep adding more and more because people are always asking well, what book should I read? Where can I learn more? And I'm like, because Google doesn't exist apparently. <laughs> so <laughs> oh, it's nice to have it served up in an organized way, which is what you're kindly doing for your customers. Yes, we're <laughs> trying to put it into a nice, we're, we're on a silver platter, but you know, having that there, I think is helpful. And that's really where you'll find everything because you can find all of our social media from there. You can find my book from there. You can find the courses from there. And so, yeah. I want to close by talking about your book and your LinkedIn learning courses, because those are like to powerhouse available everywhere books are sold, if I'm not mistaken. And can you quickly sum up what your book is about? What's the thesis? So the book is really, it's kind of the thing to help you realize you can do this because this seems like, as you said, complex, insurmountable. And I promise you, if we simplify it and bring it down to basics, that's really what this book does. It brings it down to basics. You can literally read it in a couple of hours. It is not some long treatise to make it so that you'd want to read it. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's delightful. I read it on a plane back from a conference, so I was really lucky to get a copy and I highly recommend it. So we've got the book and then finally the LinkedIn Learn courses. I mean, you are killing it over there and I know how hard that is to do. So talk to me about what you're doing on LinkedIn Learning. Yes, thank you. LinkedIn Learning, you know, again, that space, we have the unconscious bias course. That is what people are really eating up right now. So much so that I actually went back and created a second course, which is unconscious bias for leaders. So that's specifically for, again, our leading teams, managers, people that lead others. It's like watch unconscious bias and then watch unconscious bias for leaders. And even if you're not a leader, watch it anyway, because it's going to prepare you, right? Yes. <laughs> we want growth mindsets around here, right? But there's also some other things around diversity recruiting, virtual recruiting, because recruiting is a big piece of the DEI landscape. And so being able to put some pieces around that and a container around that to help, I think is also helpful. Amazing, amazing. Well, you're just such a delight, a wonderful guest. And I'm so glad we were able to connect. And I've just enjoyed this journey on learning more about who Stacey Gordon is and what she's all about and how she's fixing the world. So thank you for doing that with me. It was really great to have you on Punk Rock HR today. Thank you. Thank you. I really appreciate being here. And anytime I can spread the word about DEI like a DEI fairy, I'm happy to do it. There you go. everybody. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Punk Rock HR. We are proudly underwritten by the Star Conspiracy. The Star Conspiracy is the B2B marketing agency for innovative brands creating the future of workplace solutions. For more information, head on over to thestarconspiracy.com. Punk Rock HR is produced and edited by RepCap with special help from Michael Thibodeau and Devin McGrath. 
For more information, show notes, links, and resources, head on over to punkrockhr.com. Now that's all for today, and I hope you enjoyed it. We'll see you next time on Punk Rock HR. Punk Rock HR.